Today we're going to be talking about the story of Ruth. And last week we were in chapter 3. Last week there was a scene at night on a threshing floor in the little town of Bethlehem. And this story of Ruth where young Ruth, who was obeying her mother-in-law Naomi and her instructions, she approached Boaz by stealth uh, at night and she pulled up the corner of his garment where he was sleeping and waited until he woke up. And when he woke up, she says, you are my family redeemer. Please spread the garment, excuse me, please spread the corner of your garment over me. And then Boaz agreed to it. He was all for the idea, but he had to let, uh, he had to let Ruth know there was an obstacle. There was something that had to be overcome first. And he says, I'm going to work on overcoming that obstacle the minute there's daylight. In the meantime, take some barley for your mom. Don't, don't leave her empty-handed. So daylight came, and now Boaz is striding uh, purposefully toward the Bethlehem town gate. And he's calling for an official business meeting so he can resolve this matter. Naomi, his relative, what she said at the end of chapter 3, she was spot on, and she knew her cousin or whoever he was well. She knew his character, having grown up in the same small town. And she said, this man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So that's part of what makes Boaz our hero. When, when you think about what makes a hero in somebody's life, a hero is... Someone who in a time of crisis steps up and does what is right. Sometimes does what is right despite what might be dangerous or risky to himself. But the great thing about Boaz here is he not only did what was right, but he did it right away. I mean, there was no delay. The next morning after this conversation with Ruth, Boaz is down in the town center and he's trying to get it done because Boaz was the family redeemer. Now, last week we saw and we had a graphic that said, what are, what are the qualifications? If somebody is going to become a family redeemer, what are the qualifications? And we saw, well, first of all, that person needs to be a blood relative. He must be related by blood to those he redeems. The second quality, and of course, Boaz qualifies for that uh, on Elimelech, the husband's side. The second qualification is he must have the resources to be able to pay the price of redemption. So if a guy's poor as a church mouse, he can't be a family redeemer because he doesn't have the resources, even if he's willing and even if he's a blood relative. You got to have all three of these qualifications in order to become the family redeemer. And then, of course, the third qualification, which is the most important, is he must be willing to redeem. He has to say yes. He has to say, this is something that I'm able to do. I qualify for as a blood relative and I am willing to do. And Boaz, he qualified for all three. So Boaz is now going down to the town center. He's going to get this business deal done because, and you say, well, what is it about? There's nothing, <laughs> what's very romantic about a business deal, right? You say, you're going down there to, to deal with some property of a dead relative. What does that have to do? You know, what's love got to do with that? I think Tina Turner would say. And what love has to do with it is because Boaz really wants to marry Ruth, but he can't marry her unless this real estate transaction takes place. So there's an obstacle in the way, and now Boaz has to be able to overcome the obstacle. So we go now to verse 4. This is in chapter 4 of Ruth and verse 4 in our story. Now Boaz, right, purposefully, he's, 
He wants to redeem the property. He wants to make Ruth his wife. He's got to get this done. It has to be done in an official way. Boaz is not going to do it in a sneaky way. He's not going to go roundabout. He's not going to try and push the other closer family redeemer out of the way. He's going to do this on the up and up because he wants to honor God and he wants to honor Ruth. Because if he ever does marry her, he wants it to be approved by the whole community. Approved and endorsed and blessed by the whole community. That's the kind of upstanding man of integrity that Boaz is. So he goes to the town gate. Boaz went to the town gate and he took a seat there. And just then, you remember there was a closer family redeemer, right? Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him. I imagine Boaz is trying to be all casual about it. Hey, man, what's up? Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. And so they sat down together. And so the friend is saying, hey, uh, my cousin or whoever this relative is, he wants to have a chat. That's fine. Until Boaz does the next thing. So then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to all sit as witnesses. And anybody in that culture would know, okay, this is not just a casual conversation here. We're going to do, do some business. There's something very important that we have to discuss and make a decision on. And that's what it was. Now, what is it? Um, the town gate, of course, he goes to the town gate in, in Bethlehem. That was the center of activity of that culture. Uh, Bo has, he had a pretty good idea. That's where his relative would come there as, as people are coming and going in and out of town. The city officials gathered there at the town center to conduct business. And 10 of these elders, it, it was required for 10 of them to be present as witnesses to make a full court in order to legalize any proceedings. You know, there wasn't these long contracts. It was like, no, we need 10 elders to be witnesses if this deal is going to get done. And Boaz is determined to see this family redemption business through. He's going to do his best to keep his promise to Ruth that he just made the night before. So you might ask your question, so what's motivating Boaz to do all this? Well, he, is, he loved Ruth. I really think he did. He got to know her to know her over the last two or three months. He saw her character. He saw how well she had treated Naomi, her mother-in-law. Uh, he knew that she was the kind of character that would be a good partner for him. So he loved her. He had a duty to his family. And I just threw the third one in. There was a potential real estate expansion that was kind of like a bonus in the deal. But, I, but because Boaz was already wealthy and well-to-do, I don't think he really needed that. It was just maybe a, a little cherry on top of the cake or the Sunday. So Boaz now, he says to the family redeemer, he says, you know, Naomi, who came back from Moab, right? You know, your relative, she is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. And there's not a whole lot of sincerity in these words by Boaz, because he wants the guy to say no. But he says, ah, I, I, you need to be aware of it. Uh, the, the land needs to be redeemed, and you're the closest family redeemer. You need to do this. You can redeem it if you wish. If you want, to, if you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. And now, now Boaz comes in with his real motive, and he says, but if you don't want it, hey, no sweat, right? If you don't want it, let me know right away, because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. I'm next in line. So... Uh, Boaz shared this news, you know, Elimelech was Naomi's husband, he passed away, he still had some property in the Bethlehem area. The other guy was the closest relative, and it was his right to buy the land. In fact, it wasn't just his right as the closest family redeemer, it was his obligation 
to buy the land uh, on behalf of the family and carry on the family name. And so Boaz says, hey, if you want the land, it's yours. If you pass on it, don't worry, I'll go ahead and buy it. It's your call. Now, you got to think what was going through Boaz's mind when he's saying all this, right? I think Boaz, it wasn't an easy thing for him to do because Boaz wanted to marry Ruth. He didn't even want to have to to go through this risky conversation because what if the guy says yes? And what if he decides to redeem the land? Then all Boaz's plans to marry Ruth just fell, fell right off the table. So, but Boaz was not going to break God's law. He wasn't going to deceive his relative. He had to do the honorable thing. He did the right thing even though it might have cost him something very valuable. And that's something that, that said when we talk about integrity. Some, if somebody has integrity, that means that they're, they're reliable, they make promises and they keep their promises, they're trustworthy, but it, it also means that sometimes keeping their word is going is to cost them more than they thought it would. And Boaz had integrity. He was going to keep his word even if it cost him. That is a great model for us, Boaz's life of integrity. So now the question is, Boaz has laid it out there. He hasn't got an answer yet from the other guy. What is the other closer relative going to say? And in verse 4, the man gives him his answer, the answer Boaz dreaded, the answer that he absolutely did not want to hear. The man replied, he says, all right, I'll redeem it. Oh, no. The, old, the closer relative wants the land. I think Boaz's heart right there, it must have skipped a beat. Because if he redeems the land, he gets Ruth. And I don't want him to have Ruth. I want Ruth to be my wife. So what can Boaz do to intervene? Well, I'm sure he was praying to God. This is one of those, those ideas like you see in Nehemiah. When Nehemiah had a chance to speak before the king and the king sees Nehemiah having a sad face and Nehemiah has been praying for months that he get an opportunity to talk to the king about rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem, Nehemiah said, uh, God, give me an opportunity to speak before this man. And the king says to him, why do you have such a sad face? And Nehemiah says, I was greatly fearing on the inside. He was afraid on the inside, but I was praying to God and I said to the king. And it, you guys know that we have this ability to speak and to do something, but in our minds, in our souls, in our spirits, we're praying to God, God, you please uh, remove this obstacle. Please make a way where there seems to be no way. So fortunately, Boaz has one more card up his sleeve to, to, to play, right? Boaz now reveals the other half of the obligation because it's not just about redeeming the land. That would have been the easy thing for the family redeemer to do. So then Boaz says to him, of course, and this is where Boaz, I think, was laying it on. Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires, hint, not, this isn't an option for you, it requires that you marry Ruth. Oh, by the way, she's not an Israelite. Yeah, it requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way, she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. So if you do this, you've got to marry this Moabite widow, and if you have a son with her, that son is going to grow up and inherit all the land right? Now, here's a question too. What about this other family redeemer? What if he had only daughters? What if he didn't have a son of his own? What, would, what that would mean was that this guy, if he married Ruth, that it, the son that would be born between him and Ruth, that son could grow up and become the inheritor of all the land in his family. And so this, this other man says, uh, I've, got an, I've, got a, I've got a problem here, right? Uh, Boaz is waiting for his answer. He's putting 
the whole matter into God's hands. I imagine he's praying like crazy. I reminded of what the psalmist David wrote when he said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. Boaz really wanted God to intervene right here. God, this matter is in your hands. Please do something about it. And now, finally, he gets the answer from his clo this closer family redeemer. And the family redeemer replies in verse 6, and he says, I can't redeem it, he said, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. And you can imagine Boaz is saying, hmm. and on the inside, he's going, <laughs> yes. I got the end, but you can imagine, you know, you, you figure that on the, in, on the outside, he's trying to play it cool, but on the inside, he is skipping, he is jumping, he is leaping with, with, with thanksgiving and praise. Um, he refuses, that, and this is something too, because look at the motive of the other redeemer. Even though this guy was the closer redeemer, even though this guy was the one who was supposed to fulfill the law and, and do this on behalf of the family. Look at this guy's attitude in comparison to Boaz's attitude. Of course, Boaz is willing to do it. This man says, I can't redeem it. And his motive is, is because this might endanger my own estate. In other words, I'm not going to do this family obligation thing here if it's going to cost me something, right? Can compare that selfish attitude. He's thinking more about it, what it cost him than showing any kindness or generosity to Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, his relative and supposedly pretty close relative. He's not willing to do anything for them if it's going to cost him something. Doesn't that highlight in contrast what a great guy Boaz really is? He's willing to sacrifice and show kindness to these two, wid to these two widows. Isn't it interesting how real love does that? The person who really loves does not think so much about what they have to give up. They think about what they're going to gain. They just want to bless the other person and help the other person be happy. Love is very selfless that way. Boaz thought about marrying Ruth and taking care of her and Naomi. And, and, and what he might gain with that, it's so overshadowed what he imagined he might lose. I'm reminded of Jesus in Hebrews and the author of Hebrews in chapter 12 talks about Jesus. And he says the attitude that he had for us when he was going to the cross. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, it meant more to Jesus that we could be forgiven and reconciled and be brought into God's family forever. It meant more to Jesus for that to happen than for any pain and suffering that he had to endure, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What an amazing Savior we have. What an amazing family redeemer that we all have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And all the honor and glory goes to him. Let's go back to our story. The guy says, I can't redeem it. Boaz says, oh, too bad. I'll do it. You know, no problem. I'll step in. And in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. Okay, <laughs> the only time I ever saw this, do you remember back about 15 years ago when President George Bush went to Iraq during the Iraq war and he was in a press conference or something like that. Do you remember when that Iraqi guy stood up and started yelling and cursing and screaming at him in Arabic? And he takes off his shoe and he throws it at President Bush. And I'm thinking, dude, you're going to get shot. 
You're going to get put down by the Secret Service right here. But I think he did that because when something was insulting or something was official, something was very important, it had something to do with your shoe and your sandal. And I think maybe even the sandal, I was reading a commentary and it said, it, do you remember when Abraham was told by God, walk the land, Abraham, walk to the north in this land of Canaan, walk to the east, walk to the south, walk to the west, wherever you set your foot, right, that will be the land that God will give you. And I think the idea of removing the sandal was saying, I'm not setting foot on that property. That property is not going to belong to me. So he takes off his sandal and he hands it or he gives it over to Boaz and he says, um, this publicly validated the transaction. So he, took off, he drew off his sandal, handed, said to Boaz, you buy the land. Okay, so now the door is flung open wide. The obstacle is gone. Uh, Boaz can make good on his promise to Ruth. So then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd, right? The arrangement, it has to be official. It can't just be uh, a, a small thing. It has to be witnessed and made official by the whole town and community. And so Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, can you imagine how the crowd would have gathered? Ooh, something's happening, man. All the elders are gathering down at the town center. Something's going on. Boaz is talking. It has something to do with Ruth and the land. What is up? So it gathered a crowd. You are witnesses this day, Boaz said. Today I have, brought, I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian and Malan. Those were the three uh, men in the family who died in Moab. And with the land, I have required Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malan, to be my wife. That way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in our own hometown. And then look what Boaz says at the end. He says, you are all witnesses today. You are all witnesses today. You know, if Ruth was there or if Ruth heard the conversation, if she heard the announcement that Boaz was making right here, how do you think Ruth felt on the inside? She felt wanted, she felt loved, she felt desired, she felt like I matter in this world. I'm a foreigner, I'm a nobody, I'm a widow, I'm poor, I'm destitute. I come to this land with Naomi, my mother-in-law, and look, by the grace of God, look what he's doing in my life, right? Must have thought uh, that, that Boaz was a pretty special guy to make her a Moabite woman his wife. In other words, it was not a deal breaker for Boaz to marry a foreigner. It was not a deal breaker that Ruth was not a fellow Israelite by birth as he was. Now, here's something that I haven't told you yet. If you've read the story, you probably know this. If you've read the genealogy of Ruth and Boaz and their son and their descendants, you probably are aware of this uh, great biblical trivia question. But if somebody said to you, um, by the way, Boaz had a mother and father too. They never mentioned Boaz's mother and father until the tail end of the story. But Boaz obviously had a mother and father. He was middle-aged. Maybe they both had passed away. Boaz's father was a guy named Salmon, like the fishy. I don't know if he was a fishy guy or not, but Salmon was the name of Boaz's father. Salmon was from the tribe of Judah. Salmon was one of the two spies that Joshua sent in to the city of Jericho to spy out the city. As Israel, after the 40 years in the wilderness, they're getting ready to go conquer the promised land. The two spies are sent to Jericho to check it out. 
and the two spies were discovered to be Israelite spies somewhere in the city. And you remember the story? There was a woman who hid the spies. There was a woman who was a prostitute in the city of Jericho who said, hey, I've heard about your God. I've heard about all the miracles your God did. Your God is the only God. Your God is the awesome God. I know he's going to do great things. I know it doesn't matter how high these city walls are. Your God is going to conquer this city if that's what he wants you to do. And Rahab was her name. Rahab was willing to hide the two spies and not let them get captured. And she cut a deal with these two spies. And Salmon, this guy who became the father of Boaz, Salmon was one of the spies. And the deal was cut. And she said, look, if you keep me and my family safe, then I won't rat you out to the authorities. And she hit him up on the roof of her, of her apartment or her home where she was. And the authorities went away and the, the two spies escaped and they cut a deal. And they told her to put a red scarlet ribbon or a rope or something by the room of her house. And that would be the sign that when the people coming in to conquer the city, they said, don't touch that dwelling right there. Because that's where Rahab and her family is. And she made a deal and we're keeping our word uh, to her to keep her safe because she helped us conquer the city of Jericho. And that's what happened. And then somehow uh, Rahab it comes into the Israelite camp. She becomes part of the family of God. And one of those two spies, Salmon, they must, there must have been something in the conversation, something in the interaction that attracted him to her and her to him because Salmon eventually married that ex-prostitute foreigner Canaanite lady who became part of God's family. Salmon married her and they had a child. They had a son and Salmon and Rahab's son was named Boaz. So if you wonder if Boaz is okay with a foreigner woman coming into God's family, he probably thought to himself, well, it worked for my mom. Seemed to work for my mom. Maybe it'll work for Ruth as well. And so all is well that is ending well. And so remember, remember the last thing that Boaz said to, to all the people, to all the elders in the town center and all that, and the town gate. He said, you are all witnesses today. And then it says in verse 11, the elders and the people standing in the gate, they all replied, we are witnesses. May the, now they're, now they're going to lay a blessing on Ruth and Boaz. May the Lord make this woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended, right? Rachel and Leah and their concubines. I mean, how many kids did they have? They had at least 12. Uh, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. So basically, I think what they're saying is, may you guys have lots of children together. God bless your union. In other words, the, the community was approving. They were endorsing. They were giving their blessing on this couple getting married. They're welcoming Ruth into the Israelite community. Now, what do you, I mean, I, Ruth has just got to be saying, wow, in the course of 24 hours, I'm going from uh, this crazy idea to go to the threshing floor to now I am becoming the wife of Boaz, a man of standing in this community. What do you think brought Ruth out from being an outsider to being blessed? I mean, look at all the things that happened. What are the factors that, that made Ruth such a blessed woman in this new community? Well, later on, of course, at least nine months later, there's going to be a cuddly new baby. There's going to be Boaz's good standing in the community, and he wanted her, and he gave her standing because of who he was in the community. There's Ruth's character, which is what attracted her to Boaz in the first place. There was some clever maneuvering, uh, some scheming by the mother-in-law that was actually for a good cause. 
and a, and a, good, uh, a good plan was devised. And then there's just God's providence. Because you remember back in chapter 2, the, the very field that Ruth went to glean in, asking permission and getting permission to glean behind these harvesters, it just, quote, happened to be the field that was owned by Boaz, right? It chanced upon. And in God's, there, there's no such thing. And when God's at work, there's no such thing as coincidence. The best thing you can say is it is a God incident. And so now the town elders are giving a blessing to, to Ruth. They're giving a blessing to Boaz. They say to Boaz, may you prosper in a, in a pathra, which is a part of Bethlehem. May you be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. Now that's a whole other story in of itself. You want to read Genesis, 20, Genesis 38, you can read about that. That's an even juicier story, by the way. Uh, the town neighbor's blessing was effective because shortly after, Ruth and Boaz got married. Uh, shortly after that, now we have uh, this new baby in the family, and I'm calling him Baby Ruth, but I don't think you guys would like that. He actually had a different name. It wasn't Baby Ruth. though. It was a boy, um, and his name became Obed, O-B-E-D. And Obed means servant. And it says, so Ruth took Bo, uh, Ruth, sorry, so Boaz, Ruth took Boaz. Who's running the show here? Boaz is the husband. Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. And then the women of the town said to Naomi, and this is, this is the only part of the story where I'm going like, so what happened to Ruth? She's the mother here. Um, because you don't hear much from Ruth after this point on. It's just suddenly the whole focus shifts over to the mother-in-law, Naomi. And, and it says, they, uh, they, the woman of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who's now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law. Now, I guess it does switch back to Ruth. Because the, the, even the women of the town are blessing Ruth in a major way and giving her a very high compliment. He is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Yeah, you had two sons and they went with you to Moab and both of the sons died. But this daughter-in-law that you picked up in Moab and brought back with you, she now knows the living God and she's part of God's family and she's treated you better than seven sons ever could have. And so Naomi now, the, the shift goes back to Naomi, who's had such heartbreaking loss in this story and tough times that she had to go through. But she continued to trust God. And through her whole experience of emptiness and loss, she experienced the deep love and the deep loyalty and the deep friendship of this young woman, Ruth. And so now Naomi, the son is born, and she's the, the son, Obed, this baby boy, is brought to Naomi and she says, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. And I think one of the reasons why the biblical writer wanted to tell this story was to say, you realize that godly families, godly people tend to come out of godly families. And godly families have roots and they have origins. And godly families happen because a godly man decides to forgo other women who are not godly and waits 
until this man Boaz was middle-aged before a woman of godly character, the, the, the kind of character that Ruth had before she came into his life, and he waited and was patient, and he finally married her, and a godly man and a godly woman came together to form a godly family. And King David himself came out of that godly family. It's an amazing story. What do you see in the final chapter of Ruth? First of all, number one, joy is restored to Naomi. Remember, she came back to Bethlehem. She was lost, destitute, empty-handed. She was bitter. Remember, she said, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. I'm not, I'm not that way anymore at all. Call me bitter. But now, uh, a year later or so, now in her arms, they were full with her own grandson named Obed. So joy is restored to Naomi. Number two, there's an unlikely suitor who comes along, and he shows kindness to two women in need. Number three, talking about Ruth, a foreigner, not even an Israelite, says something about God, saying it's not about whether you're in God's blood family, a blood descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All that stuff is fine, but it's not as important as your heart. You know, it, it, you, if you have a heart that is right toward God, it doesn't matter what your background is. A foreigner who showed great loyalty and kindness is now welcomed into God's people, into his family. And now this godly couple starts a family. They have a blessed son. And that blessed son named Obed, he goes on to become the grandfather of one of the greatest kings of Israel, the second greatest king of Israel. His name was David. What do we learn about God in this story? What, God who's at work behind the scenes in his province to bring all this together, to bring Boaz and Ruth together, to bring Naomi back to Bethlehem, to bring this son that is born to start this new family and because of the family redeemer. What do we learn about God? Well, we've said it before and it bears repeating. There are no unimportant people to God. This is in your bulletin if you want to fill in the blanks. There are no unimportant people to God. God can find a woman who has a heart that is open to the one true God far away in a country that was an enemy of Israel, God's people. Her name was Ruth, and God had a way to arrange um, the circumstances to bring her back to Bethlehem into the heart of God's people so that she could meet this godly man, Boaz. No unimportant people to God. Every person matters to God. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus is saying, anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is inviting everyone to be in God's family. There are no outsiders. Number two, God is concerned about all people. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what your nationality. It doesn't matter what your status is. You matter to God. And you matter to God enough for Jesus to give his life for you. Number three, God cares about his people in need. And not only does he care about it, but he moves to help them. God moved to help his people Israel. Do you remember when God called Moses? Do you remember what he said? I've seen the suffering of my people in Egypt, in their slavery, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to bring them about with a mighty hand, Moses, and guess what? You're my guy. You're going to be my prophet to them. You're going to be my leader. You're going to be my spokesman. And, he, and then God had to go through all the objections of Moses saying, please send somebody else. And God says, no, I'm not sending anybody else. You're my guy. God is moving to help them, and he chooses people to be part of his redemption story, just like he chose Ruth and he chose Boaz, and he chose Naomi. He's working behind the scenes. Number four, 
God is at work behind the scenes to accomplish his plan and bring his God, this God-fearing couple together. Number five, God provides a redeemer who can rescue us from sin and bring us into God's family. God is the one who provided a redeemer. It's very interesting. I, I, I think about Boaz, and I, I've said to you in the past messages in Ruth that Boaz is a type of Jesus Christ. He is a prophetic symbol of the coming Savior because we all needed a redeemer. We all needed somebody to buy us out of our slavery to sin and death. Just like Ken said, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus can be our, all of our family redeemer. But let me say, here's something that's different about Gia, Jesus and Boaz. Boaz was asked by Ruth to become the family redeemer, and he said yes, and he was willing. Jesus wasn't asked by us to become our redeemer. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, while we were still walking away from God, Jesus died for us. So the difference between Jesus and Boaz is Jesus saw our need even before we knew our need. Jesus knew what we needed even before we did, and Jesus moved on our behalf, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for us. Jesus volunteered to become our family redeemer. For Ruth, her redeemer was Boaz. For us, our redeemer is Jesus Christ, proving that each one of us is important to God. Each one of us matters. Each one of us can enter into God's family and become redeemed. And all we have to do is accept Jesus' invitation. Jesus paid the price for your redemption. You remember what the qualifications were for the Redeemer, right? It's got to be a blood relative. Jesus became a human being and lived for a while among us to show us the way back to God. Uh, you have to have the resources to pay the price of redemption. And the Bible says we're not redeemed with silver and gold. We're not redeemed with something that is perishable, but we were redeemed with the imperishable blood of Christ. He gave his own life to redeem us. And obviously, Jesus was willing to redeem us. So Jesus is uh, willing to redeem you. He's willing to redeem anybody who calls on him. Jesus is inviting you now. He says, I want you to be in God's family. I've made a way for you to be there. I paid the price for your redemption. What is your response? What is your answer? You have to say yes to him. You don't get into God's family by osmosis. You don't get into God's family because you were born into a Christian family. Ken shared that during the, his testimony. He was born into a Christian family, but that didn't make him a Christian. And the reason is because God doesn't have any grandchildren. God only has children. And each one of us, you have to opt in. You have to accept the invitation of your great family redeemer. You have to be willing to put your trust in Jesus in order to make it happen. Have you done that yet? Have you consciously said to God, Jesus, I want you to save me from my sins. I want you to be my redeemer. Because if you're willing to do that, Jesus is ready and willing. He's saying that he's standing at the door and he's knocking and he's asking you to open the door and come in. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to take that step of faith toward Jesus today? Worship team, I'm going to invite you guys to come on, come on forward at this time. I want us to bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, maybe today for the first time, we're, we're just coming to a deeper understanding of why you came to this earth, of why 
you decided that you and you alone could be, could be our family redeemer for each one of us who turns in faith to you. Lord Jesus, we don't want to walk apart from you anymore. You said eternal life is this, to know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So Lord, we desire to have that right relationship with you. We want to turn away from whatever was keeping us from you. Lord, whatever obstacle it is, Lord, we put it aside. We step forward today in faith. Lord, we are crossing this line of decision today. We're saying that today you get our life. Today we decide that we're going to become your followers. We're surrendering ourselves to your leadership and to your lordship. Lord Jesus, thank you because your great love motivated you to have that relationship with us. And Lord, we desire to have that relationship with you. So come into our lives. Be our Savior. Be our Lord. Help us to know and to learn what it means to follow you faithfully every single day. Lord, we love you because you loved us first. Thank you for being willing to sacrifice yourself and to become our family redeemer. All the glory and the honor goes to you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.